Okay. So welcome to uh, Transformation and Transcendence Roundtable podcast. With me here today are Fareed Alazava, a life coach and psychotherapist, and Joshua Morrow. You want to say something for each so they get your voice? Yeah. Hi, everyone. Yeah. And then Joshua's here. Uh, he's a psychotherapist and life coach. Hello. <laughs> okay. How are you guys today? Can't complain. Yeah. Doing well. Doing well. Yeah. I don't it's, know. Another day in the life. Yeah. You're doing your your uh, video is much clearer too. You must have pressed the right button or something happened. Like that. Okay. So welcome. So uh, let's just say, uh, you know, if you if you're watching us or uh, live or, you know, in the platform, uh, please like and share and uh, subscribe. Uh, we're on YouTube. We're on all the platforms, all the audio platforms, Spotify, uh, iTunes, etc. Um, all that's kind of important. So and uh, Joshua and Fareed and Leah and Ben Bennett Carpenter, they all are. Uh, life coaches as well and uh you can find them on the platform uh franklin sollers uh podcast or franklin sollers life coaching or transformation and transcendence life coaching yeah and we're going to try to make this a little uh our title a little shorter so it's easier to access uh, i know it's hard it's hard to do all that transformation and transcendence it's too, it's a lot to put in there browser search engine so we're going to try to touch that up a little bit but that's how you get us uh, we also have a book out called um, food for thought psyche spirit and soul that's a new book uh, it's about you know life about stories about psychological and emotional growth poems and stories and sayings and that sort of thing uh, give it a try it's on amazon it's on all the platforms uh, barnes and nobles etc uh, it's it's a nice book. Uh, people enjoy it when they read it. So give it a try. All right. Uh, having done the uh, you know the house cleaning, the housework, whatever. Uh, let's talk today about uh, self love and self liking. Let me say this too as we start. Uh, there isn't anything that we talk about. Uh, you know, we're all psychotherapists, we're all advanced in our careers, we've all done a lot of self-work, but there isn't anything we talk about that we don't work on ourselves. It isn't like you you arrive and you, you know, because I'm talking about this, I got it all down. And so it's not like that, and I don't think it's quite like that with Joshua or Fareed either. Correct me if I'm wrong, guys. But it's I'm a day. Yeah. I'm yeah. pretty much enlightened being, so. <laughs> oh, you're enlightened. Okay, that's good. Good to know. You know, I can see the glow there. That's true. Yeah. Right. So, uh, but you know, it's a daily process. It's a daily process of, uh, and it's not, you know, it doesn't have to be arduous and difficult because it's liberating and it's joyful when you learn new insights, you self-examine, uh, you know, you make your mind a guest house and you let whatever comes in, you know, that you might be, you know, worried about or afraid of facing or anxious about. Let it come to your mind, and then you can start to apply some of these principles, like you know, letting go, like uh, you know, um, trying to practice love and kindness versus you know competition and, and one-upmanship. Uh, letting go of the forcing current, letting go of emotional dependencies. How you do that kind of thing, 
Uh, if you're angry about something, you know, see what other feelings you have underneath it, hurt, fear, et cetera, that you're not processing that leads you to feel, uh, you know, dysregulated and, and worried, these kinds of things. So this is, this is something that we all do as uh, life coaches, psychotherapists, and spiritual aspirants each in our own way. None of us are exactly alike, really, although we're all, we all pursue this sort of spiritual growth path but each of our paths are a little different than the next guy okay so self-love and self-liking there are some people who think for first of all fundamentally it's wrong to talk about self-love to be into it to focus on it as if you're being self-indulgent and uh, you know somehow uh narcissistic to even love yourself at all, that this is somehow, you should put your nose to the grindstone, you should do work, you should do service. And, uh, but to talk about self-love, you're really being really indulgent, yeah? I wanna say fundamentally that's a mass uh, cognitive distortion. Self-love is extremely important. It's important in terms of um, not only how we treat ourselves and that we sort of make ourselves uh, ready for enjoyable, uh, expanded experience and growth and, and all that that is really of immediate benefit to ourselves, but also to the extent that we love ourselves in a healthy way, and we'll talk about healthy and unhealthy ways, uh, the extent that we love ourselves in a healthy way, we can love others more easily. We're more generous. We're more of a cup running over. This, this is really important to know that as you love other people, you know, you love your neighbor as yourself, as it was one of the commandments, you know, love God and love the neighbor as self. As you can do that, you know, you love your neighbor, you can love yourself. As you love yourself, you can love your neighbor. Yeah, that kind of thing. And that's how it works. If you pit any, any side against the other, you're living a more dualistic kind of experience in your life, right? If it's, that's, and that's one of the distortions of self-love. I'll go with that right now. Say you have, uh, as in your mind, uh, self-love as putting yourself first. That The selfish position is the right way. I should always put myself first. If I don't, I'm a waif, I'm a wimp. I'm somehow uh, not being a strong uh, man or woman. I'm not standing up for myself. And, you know, uh, it's categorically wrong, too. There are times to put ourselves first. There are times to put others first. And you can't find the answer to when and how and where in, in the rule book. It isn't in the rule book. It isn't even in the commandments. It's not, it's not there. You find that by, as you practice, you know, self-examination and opening up your heart and, and, and you move forward, your higher self with its intuitive wisdom is the best guide. It's the best it's the best way to navigate, you know, the uh, Charybdis and what's the other one, Celia? You know, the pillars of Hercules, right? To, to find our way through these, these uh, dualities of life, yeah? If you find, try to find them in the rule book, they're not there because the dualities lead to these. If you black and white it, you're going to be in a bad position. It's always good to be selfish. It's never good to be selfish. You're going to be in a rough position. If that's one of your rules, you're in trouble. But if you understand there's gray, there's time for every purpose, then you have to rely on your wisdom, right? 
Where does wisdom come from? It isn't an ego and a logical and a um, you know linear kind of thing. It's not the rules, it's not laws, it's not any of that kind of stuff. It springs from inside, yeah. Springs from inside. And the more uh, we practice self-examination and this balance of loving others and loving ourselves, uh, we find our way. Another uh, distortion of self-love is narcissism, you know, to put use psychological terms. What does that mean? That it's all about us, that, you know, our life is about us. We become in love with our life in this wrong way. But we're, we're out there. We're trying to garner always this idea that other people will envy us, will like us, will esteem us. And it's, it's really a silly idea because two things. One is it doesn't really... Uh, garner love because people get resentful of our narcissism and are trying to be one up and trying to be on top and trying to show that that's living for appearance values right it's not really it's really with the idea covertly of being loved right even when you do something that appears loving if you're doing it to garner this sort of attention uh first and foremost and you know it's all about you you're not really that's not really love. It's a distortion of self-love. And it looks something like self-love. And it may, you know, narcissism can look like the person's really good because they're full of themselves or quietly full of themselves. They really think, you know, they're great people. Well, they may be forced to think that, but underneath there's this empty part of them that's trying to deal with their hurts and their issues by having it come from the outside. Why do they need it to come from the outside so much? This esteem, this valuation, it's because they don't love themselves enough. Enough. It isn't black and white. But when you love yourself and you feel good about your integrity because you're giving to others, you're finding this balance, you can win sometimes, you can lose sometimes, you can be selfish sometimes, you can be unselfish sometimes, and you get in the rhythm with that by your own inner guidance. You you care about yourself more, you do feel that you have integrity, so it's easier to like yourself. Yeah? When you're self-liking, right? when you're dependent on other people's opinions, and even you know um, mass opinions and cultural mores and stuff, instead of finding your own way through your own integrity, for answers and for your own independent opinions and your own positions in life, um, when you're when you're other oriented in that way, you you lose your sense of self, and the dependency makes you feel like you lack this integrity, and you don't you don't like it. If you feel a bit ashamed of yourself or a bit uh, guilty, you know, and like I'm betraying myself, and it's harder to like oneself, right? When we do that, the more we do that. Now, some people, in a counterphobic way, will rebel all the time, and they'll take the minority opinion, or they'll find it. But if you're doing it, if it's a if it's a compulsive rebellion, or compulsively taking the opposite opinion to prove that you're not dependent on other people, you're in just as much trouble. And that happens. You know, people people will do that. You know, I'm. They get proud of the fact that they can always. You know, have a difference of opinion, and sometimes you're not even asking for it. You know, 
but they'll tell you they got a difference of opinion, right? right? So uh, there's that compulsivity suggests that really they're rebelling against their own inner dependency. So that's another thing we have to watch out for. Yeah, that that sort of uh, you know counter counter kind of opinion. Uh, so anytime we're in a position of wanting to put ourselves, it's all about us, put ourselves above other people. We think that self-love, no, it's not. If we feel like, you know, again, that we have to be selfish or we have to be indulged, and there's another one, you know. Some people think that you love yourself. Oh, well, I deserve it. If I want something, I should get it. I deserve it. And they, they lose track of reality even sometimes, you know. I deserve a new car, right, because I'm a good person. I worked hard. Well, that's fine. But if you don't have the money for a new car and you buy the new car and you've got to sacrifice other things because you think maybe life should just fill in the gaps, backfill everything, uh, it ain't going to work so good, you see. So, and sometimes, you know, people say, well, I, I, one thing I should do is not work so much, but I should have all these things. So sometimes it doesn't work, right? You know, self-indulgence doesn't necessarily work. Sometimes self-love and self-care is Standing up, taking care of yourself, working hard, yeah, paying a price, uh, that kind of thing. Now, not always. Sometimes we need to play. Sometimes we need to rest. Sometimes we need to let go. It's a balance. But if if you think that self-indulgence and entitlement is and and pushing it, that agenda is self-love, you're wrong there too. Yeah. So, so uh, I think self-liking. One thing is is having the integrity to know kind of your wishes more, know your wants more, know your opinions more. It's also having this balance between loving yourself and giving over to the other person and putting yourself first sometimes, finding your way, uh, and and being generous with life. I think we've talked about this in previous podcasts. It's that you get out of this me versus the other. And you find at a deeper level, if any time you're putting somebody at a hurtful disadvantage, it's not really to your benefit, you know? Now, sometimes, in, in, because we live in this world of duality and the complex pattern of behavior has led us to this point where it's we are in that position of somebody's going to get hurt here. That's a tougher one. But in a deeper level, you know, if, if you live more from this unity position, those choices begin to disappear and it becomes... A more of a judgment about when you're going to surrender and when the other person, when the other person in your mind needs to surrender, and uh, and you you manage it by putting yourself first at times. Sometimes though, hurt happens, but not at a deeper level, uh, and that's a rough one. But at a deeper level, we want to focus on the ultimate thing. Life is not a zero sum game, you know. You know, people. Uh, ask me about how to build a practice, how to do things. Like, I, you know, I tell people I, I'm I'm always trying to be generous. I don't feel like uh, I have to win all the time. I have to be the only psychologist in the area or the only successful psychologist in the area. Kind of, for example, right? Or what somebody else has is there's a word orthogonal. It's completely independent. But they, they have that's good for them. And if I want something like they have, if I do the work, if I look at my inhibitions, if I kind of uh, examine my desire and am I willing to pay prices to get there, which may be going to school, going to work, working harder, maybe doing something different, etc. small steps that you have to do, well then I, I'll deserve it when I get there. Yeah, Maybe I have something else they don't have 
that I don't want to spend the time tracking that way, even though I might have a little admiration and envy for them. Other times, they may be a model for me, and I have to look at what I need to do to get to the place that they're at. You know, spiritual growth is another one. I mean, I think we all have, and we all need to have good models for spiritual growth because it's they do set an example for us, something to reach for. Yeah, but you're not going to get anywhere by trying to uh, begrudge them their position of uh, happiness or peace or whatever it might be that they've gotten. We want to try to be more like them but that doesn't mean you uh, just adapt all their attitudes you have to examine what's right for you still and all that you know what's right for you where it might fit for me where i have a little different path a little different course and that's good and that's good okay so i'll stop there it is complex you know this self-love and self-liking uh it's complex because again it's duality and there's gray areas and Sometimes the the uh, pillars of Hercules are difficult to manage, and you'll have to call on our higher self wisdom to do so. Well, I think one distinction that can help us navigate that complexity is the distinguish between self love and love. My gesturing happened to hit the mute button, so uh -huh. I'll be careful where my hands go. Um, the distinction between self-love and love of self. And this is something that I learned from Rousseau. Self, love of self being the type that's more in line with what you said, Dr. Sollers, about the narcissistic mode of being, where the self is almost externalized in the sense that you think of yourself as this object that can be beautified. So of course, in the original Greek myth of Narcissus, he was staring at his reflection in the water and just totally mesmerized and captivated by it. And that's how his love of self played out. The self was this specular image that he saw. And so that's why I say there's something externalizing about it where, you know, to use a more contemporary example, because who uses water as a reflective surface anymore? Yeah, um, we got mirrors and stuff, right? We yeah. got mirrors, we got... Yeah. So yeah, that's um, to, so to use a to use a non-aquatic modern example, uh, um, we we take a picture of ourselves, we see it up on Instagram or whatever, and so yeah, oh that's us, that's us. So love of self uh, in the narcissistic tradition is this is myself. You kind of externalize it and you try to beautify it as much as possible, and then of course it's also subject to the social gaze. So you're kind of worried very insecurely about, well, what are they making of this self that I love so much? And, and you're clinging to keeping it beautiful and pristine and so on and so on. By contrast, in my view, self-love is more spontaneous. You don't externalize yourself. You don't point to anything outside of you. My car, my house, my specular image, that's me. It's just self-love. It's not love of self. It's self-love. It, permeates your existence in the world. You go around just having a spontaneous appreciation for yourself, wanting the best for yourself, feeling deeply that you deserve the best um, in life. Um, and so I think that's an important distinction. And then finally, the last thing I'll say about it is, and this is a layer I'd like to add on to our conversation, self-care. I believe that if you're going about in the world in a state of self-love, here is an issue. It comes spontaneously. When you're truly living the truth of self-love, I think whenever you can, you have little pockets of a break, you treat yourself. Whenever you can, you surround yourself by people who 
treat you right and by people who love you and wish the best for you and support you. Wherever you can, you do things to try to help yourself. But if you're more on the love of self side, that's where self-care becomes like a chore because you're not going around in the world in this kind of spontaneous self-loving way. So then you think to yourself, okay, I have a love of self. I worship the cult of myself, right? And then on top of it, I have to also, oh God, yeah, I have to remember to do X, Y, Z. I have to remember to set boundaries or make time for myself and so on and so on. Um, so I would be curious what you two think about sort of how uh, self-love relates to self-care. But I do think that distinction might help us navigate the complexity a bit of, are you practicing self-love, which is spontaneous and pure and results in self-care? Or are you more practicing love of self, where you externalize yourself, you point to something outside of you and seek to beautify it? And I think that's more in line with the narcissistic mode that Dr. Sellers, you mentioned. So with that, I think that this, this necessitates this uh, on one end of the spectrum, I guess there's this self-love, self-care. Um, and on the other end is that in my mind, just probably because I'm studying it right now is the shame because I think, see that externalizing function of like, oh, I am my, look at my car, look at my things, look at how awesome I am, is a reaction to internalized shame. And so it's like, well, there's something wrong about me. That actually, I'm not lovable. I'm not good. I, there's something bad about me. There's something wrong about me. But if I have my car, if I have a cool car, oh, then, oh, there's some, must be something good about me because other people are like noticing me and other people are valuing what I have. And if I have a good position or if I'm like really pursuing this like life of excellence and of like status, prestige, wealth, then there's an element of, well, people don't see the bad side of me. People don't see that side of me that I think is so reprehensible. They just see this phone and look at how beautiful I am. Look how awesome I am. Look at all the cool things that I'm doing. And so they like you're opening yourself up to having a part of you be loved because that's this is still you in some sense but then there's this other hidden part that you're like i'm not going to share this with anyone because if anyone saw me if anyone saw this part of me they would run turn away and hide they would run away they wouldn't love me anymore and so i see the self-love encapsulating also what about those shameful parts and in a sense, those parts, not that they're inherently shameful, but that they were so intensely shamed that they were buried and repressed and they feel to the person like there's something wrong with this. I'm sort of disgusted by this even in myself. And so that the self-love also encapsulates like bringing those pieces in and loving and caring for those. Um, and that's this, the transformation and transcendence piece is that you take that, those parts of you, and once they get love, then they shift into their positive element. And then you can start showing them to people. And then you don't have to feel so bad about having these things inside because you're able to show them to people and they are able to love them, even if they're flawed and uh, in their own ways. Um, but I think at the heart of this, 
in my mind is shame and how I'm just finding how pervasive this like in really intense internalized shame is and how much of it drives these uh, maladaptive patterns over time. Anyways, so that's my little two cents. Yeah, no, it's a good two cents. It's a good two cents. I would say in, in, in correspondence to what you're saying that, you know, this, um, what did you call it, uh, Farid, like the gaze at yourself, the, the love of yourself kind of thing, rather than just love kind of, inter say it again. Love of self. Love of self, as Rousseau would put it. You know, it's really the image of oneself. Or one's, it's an idealized image of what one should be, and we try to present it out there and, and have all kinds of the, the, the pictures and the conspicuous things that would, would uh, allow or encourage people to believe a certain way about you, rather than just being who you are, you might say. <clears throat> and this happens, it's divorcing from who you are to try to be some, some idealized version and the, the, the slavery to that, you know does come from an injury a lot of times in childhood rejection and abandonment uh, depressed parent you know woundedness uh, alcohol parent that can't be there for you. you people kids just don't go oh that's that's sad no they do feel ashamed they feel when when kids are not loved they have a shame response often they look down they they have this feeling that they they lose value uh, you know, that kind of thing. They don't. They, they don't have an intrinsic value. This is from the outside in, you know. And so then the wound creates a desire sometimes to, if I just have, you know, if I'm just perfect enough, and I just have this nice picture of a life, and all these things, and the car, and the, and the hand. When kids are young, a lot of it's about being handsome. I, mean, I remember that. You know, I wasn't ever handsome enough. You know. But you know, so but you focus on that. Kids focus on different things. All this body dysmorphia, right? You have to be just so and just perfect, and you and your uh, everything is displaced to your body as a young person often. But it's then it's you get older. It's the car and it's the dress and it's the status and it's the house and that kind of thing. And and yeah, it's a way to make up for the hurt, which includes shame. It may it may include uh, shame is probably a good way to describe it. The woundedness, the feeling undeserving, the feeling bad about yourself. If you want to call all this feeling bad about yourself, your shame response, maybe it's not that doesn't total totally explain it. But those bad feelings about yourself that you try to make up from causes separation and this compulsivity to be something and force yourself into that rather than organically growing, you know, because you care about yourself and that kind of thing. That's really true and it's important. That's why I think we're talking when we talk here, we're, we do the shadow work, right? We call it shadow work. That's the popular term these days. But it's a depth work into your, your faults and your troubles and your problems and your angers and your malices and all that kind of stuff. When we can do that and start to accept ourselves without shaming ourselves, without judging ourselves, let it let ourselves know it and begin to witness it and breathe. It begins to detoxify, you know. So we're envious at times. We feel spiteful at times. We feel we feel ashamed. So we want to uh, knock other people, cut other people down, because then if they're cut down, then we don't feel. We imagine we won't feel so bad. It ain't true, but that's a, that is a cognitive distortion that many of us have. Maybe all of us have at some degree. Some degree. and so uh, then we're we we're into that kind of pattern. 
uh, negative pattern, right? Our dependency to get everybody to esteem us and value us from the outside to make up for the woundedness, the hurt, the shame, the sadness. So, but if you can accept yourself, begin to accept yourself as you are, not in resignation, but as a way, this is who I am at the moment, and it has keys, it has signposts to what you need to work on, and just witness and change and breathe into and say, I want to be other than that, and I, I can't just make my feelings go away automatically, but I can breathe, witness them, talk to myself and say, you know, it's okay. They have their feelings. I resent them. I'm okay. I'll, it'll, it'll pass and it will, it will improve as I go along and try to give them credit where credit is due and, and not beat myself up or attack them in my mind. The best I can, let it be. Then you start to detoxify all that stuff and you grow organically and you like yourself more. You feel you have more integrity. You care about yourself, what you love, the love of, in, of yourself internally, right? And then, and then a lot of things get fixed automatically, right? It's true. Your confidence grows, solutions come uh, that you wouldn't have otherwise. That you might, again, like I said, look for a, a rule in the book somewhere, right? To fix everything. You just align with the rule, like you get their opinion of you. You align with the rule. That's another one because people believe in the rule. So if you align with the rule, then they're going to esteem you for holding the rule, even if the rule sucks at times doesn't fit the moment, but it's a rule that people esteem. <laughs> so that's going to flow down onto me, you see, um, that kind of thing. So uh, trying to accept yourself as we are, as we grow in that evolutionary growth curve that's alive and is in vitalizing. And if we can feel into that and say, this doesn't have to totally define us, and I'm working on it, and you, then you start to like yourself even more at any moment in time. Any moment in time. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I think I I went with yeah. both of what you said. <laughs> so, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll introduce an example that I think will illustrate some of the things we're talking about. Uh -huh. Let's say I'm sitting at Panera having my favorite hazelnut coffee, and somebody walks in and walks across the coffee shop, and I reach an immediate conclusion about them, and I judge them in some kind of a way. Now. In that moment, I think there are two ways that I can sort of respond to the fact that I've done this internally. If I'm more in the mode of love of self, again, loving this image of myself, then of course, this image, I would not think does anything shameful or really does anything wrong. They are a perfect upstanding person beyond any criticism. So in that moment where I do make the judgment of this person that just walked in, I would probably use some kind of cognitive dissonance to disarm the fact that I just did that. And I would think, well, after all, I didn't do that. Or, well, after all, they actually deserve it. Or some kind of um, brushing away. <laughs> and really, it would be a form of avoidance. I would be avoiding the fact that I actually did have this internal reaction. And like you said, Josh, I would continue to try to find the positive signifiers and achievements in order to distract from this part of myself that actually is a bit ugly and negative. Okay. If I was more in the mode of self-love, I feel the thought might be this. Okay, I have some work to do. There is a wart in my internal psyche. There is an imperfection. There is something that, yes, objectively may warrant a bit of shame. Nobody likes to be judgmental. Nobody likes to have prejudice. It seems this is a part of myself, but you know what? 
I'm aware of it. I accept it insofar as I know it's there and I'm working on it. And I am a being in the process of becoming. And I surround myself with people who have similar mindsets so that I'm not alone in this. I have a team and a community that encourages me to continue having this process-oriented view of myself. So I ask you this, which one of those two seems more healthy? It seems to me that by accepting this ugly part of ourselves, what we often refer to as the shadow work, you're in a more peaceful orientation towards yourself and the world. And by acknowledging these things, and again, it's so delicate because you're accepting them not as, okay, I'm prejudiced. Okay, I'm judgmental. No, you're accepting them as, okay, this is a part of me, but I'm going to minimize any harms that result from it. That's number one. And number two, I'm going to acknowledge it and actively work on it and seek whatever resources are at my disposal to become a better human being. The last thing I'll say is, I think there's something in that example that really tells us about what our proper orientation to shame should be. Because again, I believe that shame is actually not in and of itself a positive or a negative. I think it depends on the context. All that shame is, is a social mechanism to enforce certain behaviors. In certain contexts, we need that mechanism in order to enforce certain behaviors. And in other contexts, that mechanism is outdated or otherwise oppresses or excludes certain members of the population. So to me, the distinction that I like to make is, are you shameless or are you shame free, right? And in making this distinction, I'm making a metaphor with the idea of care. We all want to be carefree. Who doesn't want to be carefree? Like a child, you're just walking around and everything's lovely and nothing's bothering you, but you don't want to be careless, right? And it's interesting because less and free, less and free means the same thing. It means the absence of. And yet there's some kind of meaningful distinction. When we say someone is carefree, it's a positive. When we say someone is careless, whoa, 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 whoa. You don't want to get rid of all the care. So the same thing with shame. You don't want to be shameless. When I'm sitting at Panera and I make that split second judgment, and I think to myself, well, the the I'm, I have self, uh, love of self. So the image of me is not doing anything shameful. So I'm I'm shameless. There, no, there's no there's no shame in my game. That's I think dysfunctional. But if you're shame free, which is something that you know I, I admittedly just came up with, but you know I'm trying to develop this idea. No, it's not bad. <laughs> if, if, if you're shame-free, then you accept the shameful parts of yourself, but you acknowledge that you're a human being that's in the process of becoming better. You minimize the harmful effects that those parts may have on the people around you, and so on and so on. So uh, again, just to recap, I think the person who is more in the mode of love of self and the person who is more in the mode of self-love have these fundamental different orientations to shame and the way that i would describe it again as a metaphor for care careless carefree is the person who has the love of self is shameless which is not a good thing but the person who has self-love is shame free they have integrated shame they recognize its place and they work to become better people yeah very good you know i, I think i agree with the, your sentiment almost entirely. I just would like to say 
especially since Brene Brown has done so much work on shame, which you're, you're reading, right? She, I think she, her contention would be that guilt would be a better word for that, that you feel guilty about what you've done. And shame is a toxic element to it. I don't know. I'm not sure. But that's her, I think that's her thesis, right? The shame has this toxic, self-condemning kind of thing, where guilt is more like uh, something that uh, you can work with. But I do think you might you might be right, Farid. Uh, so um, I do, Dr. Sullivan, I don't sorry to interrupt, but yeah. just because I think it will make for a really interesting discussion. I want to offer a counterexample, and I would love for you and Josh to work with it. Because I think what we're getting at is, is there any positive connotation of shame? At least that's how I understood right. your attention and your um, referral to uh, Bernays. So I would give the following example that might help us open up this question a bit. In a society where there is a standing army that is resisting an invading force, what should the orientation be towards people who, in cowardice, turn around and run? So that example to me might be, and, and I'm not married to this idea, this is just something that I want to sort of propose to the group. And I apologize if this is a tangent, but I just thought this is so interesting. That might be a example of where shame is actually not toxic, at least not on a social level, because in that example, the fact that this person would be anticipating being shamed by society for turning around and running away, when we might say, just for the sake of our argument, objectively, the right thing to do is to be brave and to protect your homeland from an invading force, that there might be something positive about shame insofar as, again, it's a mechanism for encouraging this one person to do the brave thing and not do the cowardly thing of running away. So I'm very curious what you two will think of that, because again, it's it gets to the heart of this question of, is shame in and of itself a negative, or are there contexts where it can be used um, mostly in a social context in a positive way? Well, I'm not sure we have enough time to, because that's a big question. <laughs> but go ahead, Joshua, you want you want you want to give it a try? Or you got something to say? Yeah, yeah. So I'm reading. Uh, I have read Brene Brown. She's great. Um, but right now, I'm reading uh, "Healing the Shame That Binds You" by John Bradshaw, and in it, he talks about this distinction between toxic shame and healthy shame. Okay. And the toxic shame is that internalized shame that I'm bad, there's something wrong with me. Um, where he says this healthy connection with the emotion of shame is, uh, it's it's like the emotion, like I like to share with my clients, like all these positive functions of emotions, like the anger is these boundary setting, you know, and sadness is letting go and grieving and um uh and so he was saying that anxiety is what i call the getting shit done emotion um and then so the shame from what he says is it's helping us to set our limits it's helping us to understand okay this is how far i can extend myself this is how much of a person i am and people who are shameless who I would say are actually very shame filled, but they're avoiding that and they're disconnecting from it. They will feel shameless and they will extend themselves far beyond their, what they can really do. Um, and instead of feeling shame for that, they just go and do it again because they're disconnected from that. But um, with that army thing, that was an interesting 
concept because if enough people run away then your land gets invaded by the other people and so if you aren't looked down upon for being a coward then or like i don't know get shot you know i feel like that's what they did at some point in in the world war is is that people ran away just shoot them it's like are you gonna die that way you're gonna die this way you know um so okay we're gonna have to wrap up but that's good you you want to have any final thoughts about chain uh, farid no just to tie it back to the topic today which is again what the orientation of each of those modes of loving yourself um would be so i that, I, I suppose that's just the last remark i want to make is i believe that josh brought up shame to sort of add another layer to our underlying discussion of um loving yourself and and i would say that the distinction that we've all developed between these two modes is a good starting principle i would recommend to all of our listeners start to ask yourself do you are you more in the mode of love of self? Do you sort of have this externalized image of yourself, this image that you're working to fulfill, that you're working to inspire in other people's eyes? Or is your loving yourself more of self-love, meaning more spontaneous, effortless, just you look in the mirror and here's a good, here's a good example. Love of self, you look in the mirror and you say, I love that, I love this, I love this, I can work on that, I can work on this, I can work on this self-love you look in the mirror and just holistically spontaneously that is the human being i am that is the body i'm working with and so i love it because it's me and it's not ripping yourself apart into component pieces and it's not something really that you strive insecurely to work on it's just holistic boom i love myself that is my body i love it um, and so, yeah, everyone, I think, and of course, in the theme that you brought up, Dr. Sellers, we're all doing the work. We're all trying to move away from love of self and trying to embrace more self-love uh, spontaneously. And so I think, um, I, and I, I, I hope that everyone, including myself, can be empowered on that journey. Can I hop in? Can I hop we in? We got, like, we got like one minute, so it's got to be Okay. Good. Okay. So... A lot of this stuff I feel like comes from childhood and we don't get to internalize loving images of our parents. So we have this, like you're saying, we have this image, that's an image of ourselves, but we also have images of other people. And when you have loving parents, you internalize that love. But if you don't have those loving parents, you can't internalize that. And so I think that this is part of the function of religions and spirituality. And you get to have Jesus Christ, the image, Buddha, the image, Allah, the image, God, the image, and we can internalize it. And that helps us support in this process of self-love. And so I think that that's really a very important part of spirituality and religion in this talk. Okay. That's true. Uh, to a great extent, sometimes people have a God image and, and even a, a prophet image that can be distorted, which they also can, can be a problem. But I think you're right in in principle and the other thing i want to say too as we stop is that i think even chain toxic or otherwise if you accepted chain and worked with chain is different than repressed or denied or pushed aside chain which may cause shamelessness as you say it's true and sometimes people they can't recognize their fear 
do kind of crazy, impulsive things. And some kids do that, and they get themselves in big trouble. So any kind of feeling that's accepted, including shame, toxic, or otherwise, I think you put it on the table to process. And that's what we want as life coaches and therapists. We want to help people process this stuff, accept themselves with their faults and their warts, and move forward and love themselves as we go forward. And the fact that you accept these faults in yourself, whatever they may be, within, put them in process, really is you get credit for that. It's a good thing. You should value yourself for that, not beat yourself up. Okay, so thanks, everybody. Um, what was I going to say? Uh, uh, thanks, everybody, for watching and listening. And uh, hopefully you turn in next, tune in next week and we'll be here. And thanks, all you guys, for what a great discussion we had. It was great. Yeah. Take Love care. you guys. Thank you. Thank you. See ya.